I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the first defensive mistake of the podcast. Oh no. And I'm joined by the second defensive mistake of the podcast, Adam. Oh no. And finally, the third defensive mistake of the podcast. It's defensive mistakes all the way down. Darren Driver, <laughs> Darren, how are you doing? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all right, John. Um, so I've got a bit of a confession to make this morning, and that is that I've only watched the first half of the game back this morning. I decided that for my mental health, I was going to have a cup of tea and watch an episode of Detectorists with my wife this morning instead of watching the second half as well. Um, I did watch very closely yesterday, I promise. But uh, yeah, I'm good. Other than that, how are you, John? Yeah, I seem to have lost my voice a little bit this morning, so I'm approaching the uh, Rowan Williams part of a cold, but we'll see how this goes. I may shift lower and lower, and before long, <laughs> I'll be speaking like this. Do you remember that Paul Cook clip? You know, the football manager who was... If you, if you haven't seen it, I'd just recommend Googling Paul Cook voice change. It is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, other than that, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's not covid uh, according to the lateral flow tests I've been taking. So, yeah, just a common and garden cold for me. Um, but here we are. Does that mean you're negative, John? I am negative, yep. John, John is negative, everybody. Finally, the <laughs> criticisms come home to roost. Adam, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. I mean, football's not the best, is it, at the moment? But outside of that, personal life's going quite nicely. I saw the new Spider-Man this week, which was brilliant for anyone that hasn't seen it, and had my Christmas party with work. So some good things in life, but not football. I believe Darren's seen the new Spider-Man as well. I have also seen the new Spider-Man film, and I'm not going to talk about it uh, on here because um, I don't want to. I don't want to get into analysis of films on this channel. That's a different thing. But I did enjoy it very much. Good to hear. I will not be watching it. Make of that what you will. Anyway, <clears throat> we're not here to talk about Spider-Man. We're here to talk about football and stuff. So, without further ado, let's jump into the the game summary. So obviously, a 4-1 loss to Arsenal at Elland Road, not the most thrilling of matches we've ever played. Um, 
not the most surprising in terms of structure either, really. So Arsenal played their 4-2-3-1, which we've seen them play a few times, which matches well to our 4-1-4-1. In terms of personnel, we did know there was going to be a fairly threadbare squad, uh, but in the end we had Cody Drame at right-back with a rushed-back Robin Cock and an allegedly injured Luke Ayling playing centre-back with Dallas on the left. And then we had Forshaw behind Click and Roberts, Harrison and Rafinha flanking Joe Gelhart. First half, I think it's fair to say, was a disaster class. Uh, Arsenal played the same way as they did at the Emirates last season, pressing high and man-to-man marking to bait a clip pass from Melier to the left-back. Um, and we talked a lot about this in a lot of our build-up to the game, and uh, so, it, so it transpired. So in the end, Arsenal scored three goals in the first half, two of them coming from us giving the ball away at some point, and pretty much all three of them involving large amounts of poor defending around the box, as you might have divined from our uh, intro to this podcast episode. In the second half, Arsenal dialed it back a little bit. They were a little bit less intense, and this gave Leeds a little bit more joy going forwards. Uh, and in the end, the game, the, the goal came from a, a rare foray into the box with Joe Galhart doing what he does best and uh, making a defender look silly, uh, with Ben White bringing him down and Rafinha scoring the resulting penalty. And obviously, Arsenal rounded off the game with another goal with Leeds in defensive transition. Emil Smith-Rowe came on uh, and finished... Um, fairly smartly after Tyler Roberts lost the ball in the halfway line and Leeds did not a huge amount of uh, to stop it from, from going in. So, yeah, not the most positive game summary. So let's move on quickly to the interrogation, which I anticipate will probably not be very positive either, but we will, we will see where we end up. This is the part of the show where I ask the guys five questions uh, and we try and pull apart the, the game a little bit. So question one. Darren, can you say anything constructive about a game like that? Not only can I not say anything constructive, I'm actually struggling for new things to say and new ways to say the same <laughs> things as I've been saying for all season on the podcast. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a huge amount of constructive things to say. Um, Melier played well. That's a constructive thing that I can say. But if your goalkeeper is your best player, that tells you that you've got a real problem somewhere else ahead of that. Um, other than that, I really do struggle to find constructive criticism um, and you know ways of looking at the game that might flip things for myself and for others. I'm really struggling to see those. Um, I just overall, I just feel very, I actually feel very, very deflated after yesterday's game because I can, to a point, accept Manchester City doing that to us. To a point, I can accept the Chelsea game. I just really do struggle to, you know, because they've got elite players right throughout throughout the team in both those cases and Arsenal are not that they're they're a, they're a less good version of that and what it means is that therefore their tactical approach is what exposed as not the class of the players and and that just feels really disheartening given that it's that, that this performance was actually telegraphed by by previous performances we've seen this season and previous games against Arsenal there were no surprises here and and the lack of surprise for me includes our approach to it really playing into Arsenal's hands yeah Adam I'll come to you obviously the, the there's one it's one thing to say constructive things about a game like that but I suppose on the other hand is there really anything that you can hope to be constructive about when the conditions of of the squad were so low as they were um, obviously playing um, someone like Cody Drame who I think got shown up quite a bit in the game yesterday for for, for various reasons and uh, obviously it's a horrible context for a young player to come into like that but 
is this just a period that we're going to have to go through and be like, you know, there's not going to be a huge amount of constructive stuff coming out of, of games like this. And we're just going to have to grin and bear it and move on. Regards to the game, uh, there's not much to be constructive about, but the, the problem for me is, even with the injuries, under Bielsa, we've never lost three league games in a row. And that's the first time that's happened. We tend to, but if we've lost one or two on the bounce, we, send, we tend to have a good game preceding that. And uh, we haven't this time. Um, we didn't really bounce back in any way, shape or form. A lot of individual errors from senior players as well. It wasn't just like it was it was the young players like Drama that we should be digging out. But the likes of Dallas, I don't think he had a good game yesterday. Click again, but he's been off the boil all season, really. So yeah, there's not a lot you can take from it. I guess the, the constructive points I had or, or the good things were Melier, I agree with Darren. He was really good again yesterday, man of the match, definitely. Joe Gelhart. I think his ceiling is even higher than I first imagined. I think he is a really good player that can potentially lead the line in within a few years for us, if, especially if Bamford was to move on at some point. So I definitely see him as part of the first team picture now, not not as part of the 23 squad anymore. And uh, I think you learn a lot about the team and the players from games like this in a way. Uh, that's kind of a constructive point, but it's more about the things that we're not doing well or things we should be doing better. Sort of man-marking we've talked about to death on this podcast i don't want to go into it too much but also just things like clearing your lines when you have to i, I don't necessarily think we shouldn't move away from bielsa's style of play and playing up in the back that's always going to be a function of how we play under him and it's got us to where we are but at the same time sometimes you just got to clear the ball and adam forshaw really didn't cover himself in glory on that first goal for example so things like that you can learn from sure I take all the points about the squad, right? Like, obviously, that wasn't anywhere near our strongest team. However, I do think the eleven on the pitch. I don't think there were. I don't think it was a good enough eleven to expect a result. So let me be absolutely clear about that. But what I do think it was was an eleven that should have been a- able to give Arsenal a reasonable game instead of just rolling over like we did. And that's what I felt most disheartened about. Really, is that I think the the, te- the first eleven that we put out should have been able to have a reasonably even a reasonably even game of football with, with, with Arsenal and just didn't for, for all the reasons that I know we've talked about a lot and that we'll get onto again, I'm sure, in the, in the, in the podcast. Two of my Arsenal fan friends have pointed out to me that uh, our average age of the team that we put out the 11 was older than theirs. So um, there should have been enough experience in that game and in that team to, to sort of be better than we were. I agree with you, Darren. Do we think that people are over exaggerating how bad things are based on the current run that we're having are people are people panicking because we've just played um well chelsea city um, and, and arsenal and have liverpool to come is it is this something that will even itself out later on in the season perhaps yeah and and i'm trying very hard not to get pulled into a vortex and that's why i kind of really didn't pay much i knew we were going to get gubbed by city i had a reasonable degree that we were going to get beaten by chelsea i think we'll probably get gubbed by Liverpool on Boxing Day, like I'm fine with those almost. Um, I, I'm not fine with rolling over so easily against against teams that are not in that absolute elite bracket. I think we should be able to at least have a competitive game of football with them. And and we just apart from the first thirty seconds, you know, when when I thought, oh, this might be all right for thirty seconds until until Arsenal had their first two shots on target in the second minute or whatever <laughs> it was, then I just that you know then that that's what feels worse to me. It's not necessarily about you know, I mean, I don't mind losing to Arsenal. Don't get me wrong. If we'd have lost, but 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 had but at least looked halfway competitive, that would have felt different to me. It's the it's the absolute implosion of yesterday's performance, um, and the fact that we didn't anticipate or find ways to move around the problems that we knew Arsenal that were going to cause us. That that really is is why I feel downhearted. Yeah, we had a few questions about 
the second half performance versus the first half performance and uh, I haven't actually included any of those because I feel as though we we cover this every week because I think what's happening is we're so uncompetitive in first halves that in second halves oppositions are just able to sit back and and ride through and and take it easy and think you know this is the Christmas period coming up we'll we'll not go too aggressive and we'll we'll hold on to the league that we have it's absolutely pointless looking good at 3-0 down there's there's just abs- <laughs> there's no there's no point even acknowledging that as a thing in my in my view um if you're going to look good look good at nil nil <laughs> would be would be my advice to Leeds <laughs> yeah well let's move on question two is about the high press we got that high press again we talked about it a lot we we questioned whether or not Arsenal would do it at Elland Road whether or not they would be a little bit more muted but they absolutely went for it first minute on um and pretty much yeah okay times in the second half they were nowhere near as aggressive but they were still keeping that press up throughout the game we're we just going to have to grin and, grin and bear this high press now especially against the elite sides because we've seen a lot of elite sides just pushing us pushing us high adam yeah certainly against the elite sides and we we knew arsenal were going to do this arteta's not actually as bad of a manager as some of the uh, football twitter a lot will have you think he is um and we knew they were going to do that and they did it to great effect and they forced us into individual errors and and giving away the ball and turnovers in bad areas and that's what happens but it isn't just arsenal that are picking up on it as we mentioned this season southampton did it to such good effect in our game against them I thought they were one of the best teams uh, opposition-wise that we played. They were really, really good against us. They pressed us high. And if other teams pick up on this, it's just going to become more of an issue going forward. And I don't know why Bielsa doesn't try and find a different way, but is that going more direct? Maybe hitting the channels more, the wingers? I, I don't really know at the moment. Um, but at the moment, it's, it's yeah, it's a problem for sure. Um, it, but it isn't just high pressing it's it's good pressing too and, and forcing it into alleyways and and sort of p- cutting off passing lanes and things like that and and just people like Stuart Dallas yesterday in particular was was struggling I noticed a few times him almost just running blindly down the left and then running into players and having to play a cross ball and then it would get cut out before it reached Roberts or Click or whoever it was and, and they'd have another counter-attack so um yeah and, and I think we'll see this more this season Darren, what's your take on this? Well, Chelsea suffocated us with their press. Manchester City suffocated us with their press. Arsenal suffocated us with their press. Liverpool did similar earlier in the season, and I'm sure we'll see them do it again next week. I think the answer's just there, right, right, plainly in, in in front of us. That 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 is going to be the approach. And any any team that's got halfway towards the personnel or tactical approach where pressing is part of their game, they are just going to really up the ante against us and push right up on us. And it does it won't even just be elite teams, as Adam said. It'll it'll be any team that's got that within their within their armory and within their approach at all. And the problem is is that even against teams who are worse at it than the teams we're coming up against at the moment <coughs> at the moment, we're still not finding a way to to get through it, find a way around it, go over it, or, or whatever the whatever the answer is, we're, we're just definitely not finding it at the moment. Yeah, and I guess the difficulty is is that the solution to the high press has often been, as Adam said, look for channels. Uh, but when you have wingers like we have, who are, I guess, more custom-built for, for speed and direct transition, um, hold-up then becomes a play. And when you don't have someone like Bamford on the field as well, you you just don't really have a plan B anyway, even if you, even if we were going to play that way. So, um, yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not we we see um, any any solutions to to this high press problem, which aren't just build up but better, which I think is the only really one only one you can really go for. Um, and I think that is going to need to involve better better players in certain positions on the on the field. But this is uh, not a not a transfer 
podcast. Uh, we've talked about that this week in Waters Lisp. So. Yeah, but getting Alien back at right back will help a bit, I think. Um, hopefully getting Furpo in at left back. Um, but but this is all if, buts and maybes. I appreciate that. I'm, and and, and I, com- I appreciate it's completely counterfactual. But if we, if, we can, if we can get Bamford back up front to hold the ball up a bit, and if we can get the, the full-backs in, in the correct position, then we might have a chance of looking a little bit better against it more consistently. Um, but at the moment, I think it's just going to be under siege. Right, let's move on. Question three. Three of the four goals yesterday came directly from mistakes in build-up uh, and all four saw fairly calamitous defensive actions around the box. Darren, why is this becoming all too common with us at the moment? There are so many... And it sort of relates to the point I made about Melier last week, um, that that there are so many defensive turnovers that our defensive players are under such, such constant examination by such good players that it's inevitable that at some point they're going to crack and... and um, and either lose lose a player or or miss a tackle or miss miss a you know like even the good defensive actions that we do are so often really borderline really feel last ditch you know cutting cutting out that final pass big interceptions big tackles and all the rest of it that it's inevitable that if you're playing that close to the edge all the time that that when you come up against really good opponents that that that's just going to fall apart and i think our our decision making Again, yesterday was poor. I agree with Adam. Forshaw should have just looked for touch for that first goal. And I think that first goal <coughs> is quite a key moment in the game. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't con- that if we don't concede that goal, we win the game. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is to stay competitive in that game. To lose a goal at that moment in that way is really kind of damaging. Um, so I, I think I think that yeah, there's a combination of yeah, the man marking has been exploited by the opposition. We're too often caught in defensive transition because we've given the ball away in, in a sloppy or bad area, and um, and the constant examination of of the defensive abilities by the opposition would be the kind of key things that I'd come come up with. I think yeah, one of the things that I've talked about a lot recently is the way that man marking, the man marking system that we um, employ involves this sort of ball orientated swarming um and particularly around the box so that obviously we talk about the man marking but then it comes to a point when you have to determine whether or not you the ball is in a more dangerous area than the person that you're marking and obviously when the ball's in the box that's usually yes and so you end up with a lot of players just being drawn to the ball and we've seen it a few times now where um if the ball goes into the box often there'll be players free outside um the the width of the the back four um and I think this is sort of causing us problems. So we're very much a sort of phase one defensive team. If we can get the ball in phase one, we're fine. If the ball goes into a second phase, suddenly everyone's just out of position and it, and it falls apart. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing on top of what you're saying about obviously the sheer volume of, of, um, of defensive actions that we're having to be engaged in because we're turning the ball over so much. And it really is making for a bit of a, a perfect storm in the box. But Adam, any thoughts from you? I think part of it is definitely the man marking and the high press, obviously, but I don't want to do that to death again. But I think yesterday it might have also been a part of it, uh, the inexperience in certain young players. I don't want to dig out drama, but he didn't have his best day. But also, is it just a lack of some technical quality in, in midfield at times? And, and like Roberts on the fourth goal, the way he gives away the ball, it's just awareness. It's almost like basics, really. You've just got to play a simple pass if you're not, you know, got a good option on and, and he just loses the ball and, and it causes an overload and and our defence is all scrambling and, and it's just unorganised. And there was a lot of yesterday, I don't know if this was actually something Bielsa tried to do, but Arsenal got in a lot of the time 
almost in an offside trap that just didn't work. Either it was Dallas or Drame that was was hanging back, or some someone was just basically playing them onside. And I don't really know whether that was something Bielsa had wanted us to do because they're quite fast, Martinelli and Saka and Lacazette, but it didn't work yesterday. Let's put it that way. And and yeah, um, you're completely correct as well, Darren. I echo everything you, everything you just said as well. Um, just. <sighs> Don't know really what to do this season about all these things. Like, if we were to stay up, would it need to be uh, something that was tweaked by Bielsa? Would we need to go away from man marking? I do want to talk about this later um, because it's been brought up in in a further question by one of the the listeners. But yeah, it's something that is an issue. Question four. Uh, It's a question really about the worrying nature of the way that we're playing at the moment compared to last season. And that is that obviously last season we talked a lot about how Leeds adopted a far more muted press. Um, We didn't press as aggressively in this, particularly in the second half of the season. We moved Stuart Dallas into midfield to play a more zonal role. And it seems as though we're doing that that a little bit more this season and it's not working. Um, So against Arsenal yesterday, our press was pretty muted. I thought particularly our forward press. Um, so yeah, I'll come to you on this, Adam. Do you are, you are you worried about this? Is that is is Bielsa trying to do what he did last season, which was we you know we had a few results where people started panicking about how open we were, and so we became a little bit more solid, and we we got away with it because we were able to hit teams in in transition ourselves and score a few goals on the counter. Like it doesn't seem to be working this time around. So is that a worry for us? Is kind of what I was just talking about. And it's definitely a worry of, you know, you change something slightly and it's still not working. So do you need to go even more extreme on it? Does Do we need a couple of zonal players and rather than Dallas and then everyone else is man-marking? I don't know. Um, I just, I noticed something last yesterday with, with the rewatch that I did put myself through, Darren, because I do my job properly. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Robin Cock um, was getting dragged all over the place by Lacazette. And it's said those moments that you were talking about, whether you know whether you should be dropping back because the ball's in a more dangerous area than the player that you're trying to be marking things like that maybe we do need more zonal markers maybe we need to sit deeper and and use the pace we have on the counter a little bit more I think Josh has mentioned before that we are actually set up to be more of a counter-attacking team but we don't always do it um, but at the same time with goals like you saw against Chelsea with uh, Gellhart you, you do think well, we can do the Bielsa way. That was the most Bielsa-like goal we scored this season. So there's a balance to be struck here. And, and I don't know whether it's to be a bit more counter-attacking and sit a bit deeper or, or to continue to try and play the way we did that got us promoted and, and ultimately got us ninth place last season as well. We pressed really aggressively in the middle and back thirds last season when we weren't pressing as high. And I just don't think that we did that yesterday. And I think that's partly because Arsenal played more vertically than laterally. So, And I think teams have kind of realised that if they do play more direct, more vertical balls that if they run directly through the middle of our team, that our press isn't going to be able to kind of pick that up as easily. So I don't know what the answer is, but but in my view, the answer is that Bielsa needs to find a way to make the press work more effectively against... Because it's kind of... The, the, the irony is, is that the sort of play that works really well against our press is exactly the sort of attacking play that Bielsa loves, direct vertical attacking. And and that's really causing us a lot of problems. And w- when it is coming into our middle and back thirds, quite often because of the movement um, of the opposition, our the markers are not with their, their players as closely as they might want to be, so they're not able to press as aggressively as they would have done uh, previously. So I think, I think that's kind of just a thing that I've noticed 
And particularly, I thought Arsenal did that really well yesterday. And let's move on to the final question then. I wanted to talk a little bit about the youngsters. Obviously, it was a particularly torrid afternoon for them. But I'm interested in whether or not you guys think it's unfair on the under-23s to have to pick up the slacking games where we effectively had a, have a squad crisis. And what I mean by that is that we talk a lot about um, Bielsa's approach being that he wants to have... 23s available in the first team so that so that he can have a smaller squad uh, that helps player development etc etc we all know the arguments but the problem is is that at the moment it seems like the under 23s are only ever getting time on the pitch when we're having these sort of squad crises and it just doesn't seem a very fair context for them to to develop their experience of first team football Darren I know that you cover the 23s for us a lot so what's your take on this? In an ideal world, you wouldn't want your 23s just being introduced in a crisis. You'd want them to be introduced when things are going well. So you would have wanted wanted to have seen uh, a, a gradual increase in the number of minutes. That, that just use Cody Drame as an example. That Cody Drame gets so that by the time he comes into the into the first team and starts a game in the Premier League, that he's kind of more aware of what that's like, what the differences are. you know. So at the moment, he's gone effectively from playing 23s football regularly to being moved into the first team squad, so then not playing 20, even 23s footballers regularly. And now he's expected to start against Martinelli in the Premier League. And what that does, I think, is it exposes players like Drame to to being um, yeah, kind of found out or exposed in, in terms of the tactical and positional stuff. And it means that it gives people, Arseholes like Graham Sooners, an opportunity to pull them apart afterwards. And I just want to mention Sooners because he's an absolute wrong un, and I think Sky should get rid of him as soon as they could possibly can. We'll move on from that now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just I just kind of... Um, yeah, so in an ideal world, you would want your 23s to have a gradual integration and, and for it not to be at a time where you're going, okay, I really need you now and I really need you to perform as well as this other guy that's played 400 games, even though you've not played any games for us at all. I just don't think that's a... Comp- that's a very logical or fair way to introduce the under-23s to the team. Now, I'm not saying it'll cause long-term damage to Cody Drama or anything like overly dramatic like that. I'm not kind of buying into any narrative about that. But I just don't think that it gave him a fair opportunity to play at his best yesterday. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. I agree with you, Darren. I think a time when you should be using 23s players is maybe with 15, 20 minutes to go in games that are already done and over and whatever or, or at the end of a season when you know you're safe or you know where you are in the league it's not an ideal time when you're going through the hardest run you've got of the season to be throwing these players in and hoping that they do well um drama in particular was struggling yesterday but I, I really don't want to put too much criticism on him because i'd rather just say i feel sorry for him because I, I really do to be honest he's barely played any games senior football in his career so to dig him out after that is is probably not the right thing to do i'm more disappointed with these senior players yesterday to be honest the ones that Forshaw's played really well in recent games. I thought yesterday was probably the worst game he's had in, in like the last five or six games, to be honest. And things like that frustrate me more than you know Cody Drama having an off day or or things like that. But there were some good performances. Girlhart came in and, and did well, and Somerville looked quite bright off the bench, but then gets hooked with six seven minutes to go. I don't know if that was an injury, but it's things like that as well that can't be helpful to their confidence. These are young lads, these are young men, and you want them to uh, to be coming in under the right conditions and and circumstances really. And, and yesterday wasn't that. Mm, yeah, totally agree. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, let's move on then. Enough of me asking the questions. Time for you two to ask the questions. So we'll start with you, Adam. Uh, what topic did you want to bring to the conversation today? Why are fans so adamant January signings won't improve things with us? Are they also mentally scarred from our previous January window exploits? What do you both think? I think this is a really interesting question, and I have to be honest, I don't completely know what I, th- what I think about it. Um, I, I I do think we definitely need some strengthening in January, um, and but at this point, with things being the way they are, I'm not even sure which which areas of the squad I think we need to prioritise. And I think that I think that the amount of churn that we need to make this squad competitive again just isn't achievable in January anyway. So what that means is that whatever we do in January, effectively all we're going to be doing is rearranging the furniture, um, and that's that's fine. But it just means that there are more fundamental problems than, than this January window f- can fix. And in fact, I think there are more fundamental problems than even one or two or three windows can fix. I think these we need to really kind of approach this in a, in a more long-term way. As it is, because if we didn't recruit in a long-term way in the summer, it means that we're forced to recruit in a short-term way in January. And that just doesn't feel like it's going to be particularly helpful. I don't know if the right players are going to be available. And and besides that, as we, we do know that Bielsa's can be reluctant to put players in and if players haven't been playing regularly for the club that they're playing at then we do know that, that there will be that kind of adapt- adaptation period because they won't they won't be as much sharp as he wants them to be so in an ideal world I would I would want us not to recruit in the January window or to only recruit you know for um, one or two emergencies but as it is we are being forced into a, a window where I don't think we're probably I, I think it's unlikely that we'll get the players in that we need to solve the problems even in a, in a fairly short-term way is is kind of where I'm at with it I think I just worked it out by saying it out loud yeah that's where I'm at as well I just think th- it's the context that in which you're making the signings that, that changes entirely between a summer where we've just been mid-table in the Premier League and everything's looking rosy to uh, a January where clubs know that you need players so they'll already have leverage over you on that score and then you're trying to bring in players who are going to be happy to come to a club where you know potentially they could be in a division below by the end of the season and I think that, that those those contexts are much more important than a lot of the fan base want to admit um, in, in a lot of respects. There, there seems to be this idea that because we love Leeds, everyone out there loves Leeds, and so the opportunity to play Leeds, they would bite your hand off for. But I'm afraid that in the current situation, that's not the case for a lot of players. And so any player who has the chance of a decent move is going to wait until the summer to see if they can get an option of a better move. Um, so you're either going to end up, end up overpaying for a player 
per fees and wages, or you're going to end up bringing in players who no one else wants and, and they realise it's going to be a good move for them, which is means that you're naturally going to be um, uh, probably approaching players who are slightly less uh, uh, up on the quality scale. So that's not to say that it can't happen, and, and, and I'm sure that the club will do their best to, do, to, to bring in some players who can uh, make a difference. But the problem is, is that you that the more risk that there is for players coming in, the more risk that you have to take as a club. And like we've seen that go badly wrong already um, under under Bielsa and Orta. And and so, yeah, I think that's why people are probably pessimistic anyway. So, yeah, I I, I just think it's um, I just think signing in January is just never a good a, a good context to go into contract negotiations. Um, so so yeah, I don't know if you have a, a different thought to me and Darren Adam. I completely agree with regards to like transfer fees and you would definitely end up overspending because clubs do have the upper hand on you and, and they know they can get a little bit more out of you than they ordinarily would in a summer, which is why I think I agree with Darren, like maybe if we do have some long-term issues that we need to sort them in the summer rather than in January, I don't think we're going to be able to get them all sorted in January. But at the same time, I think a couple of additions would be good. For me, I think a lot of the fan base are quite scarred by what's happened in the past and um, with regards to like Augustan and players like that and not being ready but if you sign the right player and they're, they're ready and they're Bielsa ready is a different kind of ready but yeah if you're Bielsa ready then they can come in and they can have an impact Dan James took what one or two games and then he was straight in and, and basically stayed there so there's one example but has he had an impact Adam <laughs> ha, yes that's a different question but he's had an impact on me that's for sure <laughs> he's at least played the games is what I meant I meant an impact he's played the of, games yeah, yeah. exactly so if there's someone that can come in and be ready to play straight away then great and I think that's the main thing that that also we'll be looking for and some of the names we've seen in our discord and in our chat are players that you'd think would be probably ready players that are good at pressing and again we're maybe not looking at the right ones again lack of technical quality but a lot of uh, players high intensity and that's Bielsa isn't it I think we all agree that we we do need some some players to come in I guess the issue for me is that in January you, you always end up doing sticking plaster um, transfers rather than long-term transfers and we already have a long-term problem with our squad management so this is only going to cause problems further down the, the line as well but let's move on to your question Darren what did you want to talk about? I wondered how much you guys read into this game and this run because the pragmatic part of me wants to just put it down to all those many influencing factors that we've talked about the injuries and and I want to look for hope in those things right but like the level of performance is really worrying for me um, and particularly in yesterday's game and particularly in our attacking play because that's not been good all season um, and so I just kind of wondered where where you guys were at with that really because uh, I'm just hoping that one of you can make me feel a bit more hopeful Do I think we lose yesterday we have most of our players fit probably but not quite as bad as it was it might have been more of a 2-1-3-2 sort of game maybe with regards to like players coming back and having an impact, you mentioned Furpo and Ailing and, and having those fullbacks and that might help things. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the big one is probably Bamford, to be honest. He gives us more of a focal point. He gives Harrison someone to hit with crosses, things like that. So in that sense, things could be improved if players came back. But we know the systemic issues. We talked about it to death on this podcast. And man marking and, and high pressing teams and all of the rest of it, that's not going to change whether we change the personnel. It just might improve things slightly. We might be able to play through it more. It might be done better rather than these young players being thrust into it who might not be as aware of how to play the system. But 
I can't really give you what you want, Darren, because I'm not overly positive at the moment. It's hard to be during this run, to be fair. So uh, <laughs> sorry about that. But yeah, no, I do think they would improve things. I just don't know to what degree. I saw some people on Twitter saying, oh, we'd be a mid-table team, would we? Or would we still be kind of similar position, maybe just a few points better off? That's kind of where I'm at. The worrying thing for me is not necessarily like the underlying numbers per se, because I think I, I, I put up for example, a comparison between the expected goals cumulatively last season versus this season on a, on a sort of uh, running plot so you can comp- compare where we're at game after game. And obviously, XG-wise, we're way off the, the pace that we set last season. Um, interestingly, XG against-wise, we're, we're pretty much tracking that. Um, so and the big thing that I take away from that is that you know this is a this is a team that's set up to be quite open at the back because um, you, you sort of get a, 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 an attendant better performance in, in your attacking side of the game so okay we'll, we'll give up a lot of chances but we'll also create a lot of chances and the issue this season is that we're not creating those chances um, now a lot of people will say to you well you know Pat Bamford basically or, or or something along those lines but the worrying thing for me is that if you go through the whole of our season and you look if you watch game one to, to now we we have the same we've have we've had the same systemic problems with our attacking build-up all the way through and obviously Pat Bamford improves us yes definitely Luke Ayling improves us when we play him at, at, at right back although maybe less so this season but the issue for me is that we aren't able to possess the ball in, in the ways that we were last season we aren't able to we are be, we're being too direct at times we're not and one of the biggest stats that stands out for me is that the the stat that Statsbomb like to put out which is uh, how many players do you have in the box when you make a cross and we're just way we, like last season we were an impressive oppressively high on that metric and now we're impressively low on that metric and a lot of that is to do with tempo a lot of that is to do with getting and, and this is what for me positional play is under Bielsa positional play under Bielsa is being able to get as many players in the box and the ball at the same time in order to generate the the, the highest likelihood of scoring goals and at the moment we're not doing that and and I think that that is a systemic problem that I don't think is necessarily obviously obviously these things are solved by having better players in the team because you know the tactics are simply 11 players doing things in the right order um so having better players in those positions will improve us so it's definitely a complicated one it's not so simple as to be like well you know we're playing badly tactically now therefore we will always play badly tactically but um i do think that there's uh, there's there's a sense for me that we haven't managed this season to do the the same kind of positional attacking approach that we've managed in the last few seasons and we're suffering because of that because we're not able to get the return on on goals that we were getting in previous seasons that made up for the fact that we were open at the back it's not even the goals for me john it's the chances we're not we're just just, yeah and i know you think that too but because we're we're making maybe one big chance per game this season uh if that and that that just doesn't feel like that's particularly going to help us to to get out of this mess because i don't want to be called negative i do want to say that if we had better players back and fit would we be better yes just i don't know how much is the question it's sort of a percentage thing and i don't think it's as much as a lot of the fan base think i think it's less than that right let's move on to the next section which is the listener section so enough of of us time to discuss what the listeners want to discuss so first question from arnie b in the first half, Lacazette dropped really deep, taking a centre-back with him, leaving yards of space. Why does no one else react to that? It seems such a basic way to play against us. Centre-forwards drop deep, and then the wingers and attacking midfielders attack the space left. Adam, I can see you nodding vigorously. Yes. 
because this is what I wanted to talk about. And Arnie's a, a good friend of mine on Twitter, so I'm glad he's put this in. Um, yeah, uh, Lacazette pulled us all over the place, to be honest. He was really impressive if you actually watch it back. I, I didn't notice it as much during my first watch, but the second watch, I really did. Um, he was dropping in between our midfielders at times and, and just basically letting all of the attacking fielders and wingers push on. And then as soon as Robin Cock realised, because he was his man that he was marking, as soon as he realised, I need to drop back in, Lacazette had loads of space, about 30, 35 yards from goal. And it was a massive problem. It happened time and time again. Match of the day also pointed it out. I did watch their analysis back on it. Not that I really particularly love Danny Murphy or Martin Kieran, but they uh, they did a good job of pointing this out. And yeah, it was a massive issue for us yesterday. The second half, it wasn't as bad. It was the first half in particular where he was doing this. But I feel like we've seen it again this season in other games and it's not the first time. It's another thing that's going to you know, sort of mess up the system. Um, I think Udav talked about this in one of our group chats and said... Bielsa has said in the past, in a man-marking system, swapping players is one of the hardest things you can do. But I think we need to realise when to do that better because we didn't do that with Lacazette yesterday. He was constantly dropping into a position where maybe a foreshore or a click should have taken over from marking him and Cox should be dropping back in to mark someone else. And we weren't doing that. We don't swap our markers often. And that sometimes is something that can drag us all over the place. And, and yesterday was was really evident that that was happening. So if Cock hands Lacazette over to one of the midfielders, who picks up that midfield man that's then free? They swap. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay, right, they, yeah, they need yeah. to learn to swap better because it doesn't. It does happen sometimes. We do see it, but it's not communicated well. And I don't know. It's been an issue. In other games, like I said, this season, but particularly yesterday, uh, I really, really noticed it on the rewatch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obvious why teams do it, because it does create that vast space in behind the centre-back that comes out. I mean, obviously, the spare man should therefore then be able to, yes, yeah, see what's coming into that central area and, and, and pick that up or, or whatever. But I'm not sure that, that swapping is the answer, to be honest, because I just think that does create more confusion, more communication problems. I think that 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 yeah, it, it's got to be about absolutely sticking diligently, diligently and rigidly um, for the, for the vast majority of the part. You know, like when 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 our systems worked well, our man marking systems worked well. That's what we've seen, and the way that the way that we prevent teams attacking us is we prevent their best players from getting on the ball by being really tight to them when when the ball tries to come to them. And I just think that. At the moment, for whatever reason, whether whether the opposition's movement is smarter or whether our players are just not kind of you know properly like tuned in, but they they don't seem to be reacting quickly enough to the moves that opposition players are making, and and it's creating yards of space for opposition for the opposition players. Um, and yet we can say that zonal marking would sort this out. Zonal marking would might sort that particular issue out, but it might also create a number of other separate and and related issues. Um, so I just. Yeah, I, d- I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but but I suspect that Bielsa won't encourage more swapping of players because then it becomes more of a zonal system, and he's he's completely wedded to to man marking as an approach for deeper marking. Maybe that's the way I just want to go personally. Then, but I think that's a reasonable shout. Like I'm not saying that I think it's a bad shout. I'm just, I guess, I always try and think about it in terms of what do I want to see versus what do I think will actually happen. It's just for me, there was a time yesterday on a couple of occasions where Cog was literally by Rafinha and Gellhart when we were defending and it's you're re- he was really, really high and it's like, that's worrying because you're leaving a lot of space for you to have to then sprint back into and a few times he did decide, you know what, I'm going to leave Lacazette now. And so he either has to do what you just said and stick rigidly to him or he does need to say to, to Click or Roberts or someone in midfield, basically, can you just take over there? 
I need to drop in now because I'm I'm too far up. He was really really high, and that was the problem. Yeah, I guess the the theory is is that as, if everyone's man marking, then it doesn't matter if you leave space because you're you're anyone who's going to run into that space should be being tracked. Obviously, it falls falls to pieces. What I do think I would say, I'm not going to add too much to what you guys have said, but you've got to think about why is it that Bielsa wants us to man mark, and no one really ever talks about that. And I think that for Bielsa, the reason you man mark is is so that you are structurally set up to attack well when you win the ball back so obviously you win the ball back uh, a lot and um, and from there I think you can spring decent counter-attacks and I think that the data does back that up like regardless of how you think about um, man marking when it works it does get you into situations where you can attack well and I think the problem is is if we if we shifted this team to a zonal marking system we just wouldn't create as much and I I think people people I mean at the moment maybe that feels fine maybe at the moment you kind of think I just don't want us to be turned over every single game Um, but I also sort of think that you have the opposite problem, which is when you go into the, that run of games against teams where you are wanting to win, against your Newcastles and against your your Burnleys and, and against whoever you're playing at that the lower end of the table, suddenly you lose a massive edge. Um, and I think that we, we, we periodically go through these sorts of runs where we play against a decent side and, and everyone sort of forelock tugs about how bad everything is. But the, the, the point is, is that the question has to be raised at a point when we're playing those games against teams where we're not um, necessarily... Um, having ha- having to worry about being turned over quite so much. Now, I, I agree that this season we've definitely had those periods. Like, I think we've been poor this season. I think we're, if anything, lucky to be have as many points as we have. And I think that we've underperformed against teams that you might expect to get your edge against. So teams like, you know, I mean, Southampton, we we beat both times last season and they, made, they, they looked like Man City light against us this season. And I say that not, not just for effect. I think they played in a very similar way to the way that City played against us and they had joy from it. Uh, I think there's teams like Brentford who, again, like Brentford are a smart team and people will look at their squad and be like, oh, they're nothing special and will say we, should, we shouldn't be drawing with Brentford. But at the same time, like we, I didn't feel like against Brentford we really got the edge that we, we're supposed to get against Burnley, against Everton. All of these games, we didn't actually generate too much at all. And I think that for me, that's the worrying issue. The worrying issue is like, how, why do you why do you um, carry on going with with the man marking if you're clearly not getting the attacking benefits that that man marking system offers as well? Uh, let's let's move on. Uh, question two is from KG, who said, "Although the game was lost, can you rationalise why Bielsa made the changes he did after the penalty? Clearly, looked annoyed, and I feel he was more than justified in feeling that way. Uh, there was a, some other weird penalty decisions as well. Uh, sorry, not penalty substitution decisions." Um, namely like bringing Somerville on and then off um so yeah Darren what what are your thoughts on on the the changes that Bielsa's making because a lot of people are getting quite frustrated by some of the changes that he's making he quite often brings click off between the 70th and 80th minute that that is something that happens very very regularly and has done throughout click's time with Bielsa now I suppose for me there's a decision to make there about okay if, if I'm bringing click off what have I got to bring on and what is what he brought on was another very untested, very untried teenager. And um, so for me, there's, there's maybe a bit of, well, the, the decision then, okay, Click click might be having less impact on the game. He might not be making the sort of runs I want him to or or whatever. It, or maybe, you know, the, the track is running throughout the game and it's starting to drop off or whatever it might be, right? So, but you go, well, is that going to be better or worse than this untested, untried teenager who's never played a Premier League game before and and I guess there's a 
that's just that those are the sort of decisions that managers stand or fall on now when you're already three three one down and and i've I've seen people say that we were getting loads of momentum that we might get back into the game that we might have got a point from it yada 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 and i just think that's absolute nonsense we weren't getting anything from that game arsenal were arsenal were sitting back they were happy to soak up pressure we weren't putting them under any real pressure we weren't creating any chances yeah we got a penalty and that's fine we we, we scored the penalty but i i, I actually i actually do think genuinely that the substitutions that Bielsa made after we were 3-0 down are absolutely inconsequential here and don't don't impact materially impact my reading of the game at all so uh, when he took some of off and brought McCarron on I thought okay well he's, he's just giving McCarron a chance to see whether whether he can do something which you know in that Bielsa term unbalances Arsenal and and you could pretty much predict that it wasn't going to and it didn't similarly with with Click and Greenwood you know if anybody's going to if if either out of Click or Greenwood anyone's going to have a chance with movement with rotation with clever passing with finding space of of unbalancing Arsenal it was going to be Click but for whatever reason Bielsa usually pulls him off late then you know it kind of is what it is, but the the game was already long, 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 long gone by then, and it, it just doesn't matter. It's, it's kind of my reading of it. Yeah, Adam, what's your take on this, and and what's your take on Click being annoyed coming off actually? Because because I was surprised to see that because he doesn't seem the sort of player who would necessarily do that. It is a little bit of a surprise. I don't know really why, because like Darren said, the game's gone, and Click's probably got to realise that too. Unless he thinks he can grab two goals in the last 15-20 minutes when he gets hooked, I don't have a clue. But I'd rather look at the substitutes as more of a, a long-term thing, what we've seen this season, and talk about that, because it has been a bit strange, not just from a substitution point of view, his tactics this season as well. I, I really can't get my head around the Somerville one yesterday, having said that, because I thought he actually looked quite bright. And then you take him off and put McCarrot on. Maybe it's just a case of let's just see what he can do and give them both a little bit of time. But I don't know. They could have taken someone else off. Maybe rest Raff. He's on a yellow card. I don't know. Something like that might have made more sense. Um, on his last yellow card, sorry, before his his ban potentially before Liverpool. Um, but this season, I think some of the substitutions have been strange. But things like clicks quite normal. It happens, like Darren said, quite often. So I'm not going to question that. And we don't really have that many options. So yesterday is a bit inconsequential. It doesn't really matter when your your bench is full of children and whether they're going to impact the game at 3-1 or 4-1 down because they're not. They're just not. It doesn't really matter. I just want to say that I, w- I would have loved to have seen our group chat had Bielsa <laughs> pulled off Rafinha and put on Liam McCarron. I think Hobbsy might have. Act- it would have been a spectacular <laughs> yeah. implosion by Hobbsy and I think I would have enjoyed that in a, in a sort of perverse sort of way. I was more thinking for resting in purposes rather than, oh, McCarron's going to come on and impact the game. <laughs> but it would have been good. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see our favourite in the group chat, Lewis Bate, come on. Quite a few of us are obviously big fans. Still haven't seen that, but I don't think we ever will. Question three. Let's just quickly go through this because this is very much restating a lot of what we've said in this podcast. But a, uh, Al, maybe AL, I'm guessing Al. Um, we've been well and truly found out now, haven't we? I feel like our man-to-man system is now too easy to break from most Prem sides. Let's not talk about the man-to-man system again, but let's talk about the truly found out side of things. Um, is this is this worrying? Is this something that, that, that worries you guys in the, in the long run? Or is it something that you kind of think, well, when we get players back in, we'll be fine. Our system will work again. If we'd been found out, if there was one key thing that teams had found out about us that they could exploit, then every team would play in exactly the same way against us. And they, 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 they don't do that. So teams, some teams choose to do a mid-block. Some teams choose to, choose to allow us to build up and make sure they've got Rafinha double-covered. Some teams play against us with a high press. Um, and, and But because the reason I think that I don't think we've been found out is because I don't think there's anything 
I don't think there's anything hugely secretive to find out. Bielsa's tactics are really well known. You know, there's there's kind of there are no secrets hidden within it, um, and it's just about teams choosing the approach that they think will best uh, nullify Bielsa's tactical approach. And and there are there are a number of ways to kind of split that. Um, so I, it's not something I particularly worry about in terms of have we been found out. It's whether we can find ways to find out and find our way through the varied tactical approaches of the other teams. And currently we haven't been able to do that. Yeah, I think it's worth saying that football management is not quite so simple as just being able to be like, well, we know what causes these problems, so we just need to do that. You have to work within the resources that you have. That's a very Bielsen thing to say. But like, you know, if you're a team who never presses high, you can't just be like, well, Leeds are really bad against high presses. Let's just press them high because it's it's not quite so simple. I think the worrying thing for me is that there are blueprints for you to approach Leeds and get joy in almost any game style um, which which kind of worries me I think like there's teams who've I think low block's probably the best the best thing for us like we've there's teams who've sat deep against us and we've had quite a bit of joy against them so I'm thinking first half of Spurs uh, Wolves both of those games um, and interestingly enough like I think Joe Gullhart had his best games against those two sides because they allow us possession around the edge of the box <clears throat> but anyone who plays mid block or high press I think pretty much they will be able to cause us more problems than, than we'll be able to cause them if they're if they're smart about the way um, that they go about it. And there's very few teams who really are just going for a straight up low block, really, in in the whole game. Right? <laughs> it's interesting, John, because we used to say uh, that the the, t- the thing that that Leeds would struggle against most is a low block, and now it's the thing that we're probably best against. And we haven't improved at playing <laughs> against a low block. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's that is true, and and it's worrying. Right, let's move on to the Statric Bamford section. I am once again going to defer to uh, the wonderful Jamie Kemp, who provides us with a lot of material in this section. So he's tweeted out um, that Leeds has last two games in terms of turning over possession within 40 metres of goal. So in terms of Leeds losing um, the ball and 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 within 40 metres of their own goal. So he says, 29% of our shots conceded from high turnovers this season have been in the last two games, which is 10 shots out of 25 shots conceded from high turnovers. Uh, and this also includes two out of the three goals that we've conceded in these situations. And he says, only Liverpool at Anfield next. So uh, yeah, do check out Jamie's um, Twitter, hand, uh, Twitter handle at, at Jamie M. Kemp because he's put um, the shot, that well, the t- high turnovers map. Uh, on, up on there for you to have a look at uh, and it, it is a little bit concerning in many respects um, I don't think there's too much to say about this but it, it does segue us quite nicely into our game preview for the next section so Jamie says only Liverpool at Anfield next uh, guys how are you feeling about this game Darren? It would be fair to say that I'm not particularly looking forward to it um, I am genuinely a bit of a loss here because we know how Liverpool are going to approach the game they've already spanked us once this season um, and I know that, I know it was only 3-0 in inverted commas but the number of chances Liverpool created in various spells during that game that could have been any any number of any number of goals I kind of really want to, <laughs> I just want to see us sit in a low block here and just try scab a point and I, and I, I know that's not going to happen we're, we're not going to do that we're going to continue to play in, in the approach that that Bielsa has set for us and there is a there is a bravery in in doing that right there is a bravery in trying to continue to do that um but at this point I just don't I, I'm really not looking forward to another game where I just expected to see us get absolutely gubbed um and so yeah 
I'm, I might choose to do something else <laughs> that day, but I mean, I won't. I'll be, I'll be watching it and and whatever. But but yeah, it's not not something I'm particularly looking forward to. Yeah, my point ties directly into what Darren said. I'd like to see us go a little bit more defensive. I don't like using that word, but it's true. It's a bit more zonal, a bit deeper in a low block and just see what we can get from it. And even if we can keep the scoring low, that would be great because our goal difference has just taken a hit of minus 10 or 11 in the last week alone. So I'd just like to see us keep that down. But I just know Bielsa is very unlikely to ever do it. He won't do it. So just keep the score down if we can. That'd be nice. Yeah, I've got a lot of friends who are Liverpool fans and they're going to be surrounding me honking like geese on Boxing Day evening and I'm that's not that's not a fun time. No, it's not a good time, is it at all? Well, if you want a fuller preview of that game, we will be running a double header preview episode this week on our Patreon. I'll be talking to John O'Sullivan about Liverpool and James Rushton about the Villa game after that and I think over the course of the Christmas period maybe next week we will probably be just doing uh, Twitter space reviews of the game not least because they're probably going to be pretty miserable so we probably don't want any record of them anyway but um, yeah head head over to our Twitter account if you're interested in those and we'll we'll have the information there so our Twitter is at all stats aren't we and our Patreon is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and that brings us to the end of the podcast and uh, good to chat with you guys despite the uh, situation but so so thank you both for coming on and as I say we will be back after Christmas week with some more of our regular podcast episodes have a great christmas guys really appreciate you listening in and we will see you after the christmas break deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.